Today on the Relationship Renovation Podcast, we are lucky to have the authors of the 8080 Marriage, and they do an amazing job of helping us understand how the balance sheet approach and trying to have equality always within your relationship can cause a lot of problems. And they give you some real practical tools and also like insight into creating a marriage or a partnership that feels deeply connected, balanced, and full of generosity. So stay tuned. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Relationship Renovation Podcast. I'm Tara Kerwin. And my name is EJ Kerwin. And we are just always so happy to be here and to thank you to our listeners for tuning in and really for all of the emails that you send us for awesome topics. We're just really grateful to be doing this. Absolutely. And we want to like dive in right away because uh, we're lucky enough to have another couple on and and couples who are doing some really cool things out there. They, they have a book out. It's Nate and Kaylee Klimp. They are the authors of The 80-80 Marriage. Uh, Kaylee is an executive coach and Nate is a mindfulness author. And, you know, we want to thank you first of all so much just for coming in. How are you guys, Nate and Kaylee? Doing great. Excited for our conversation. Doing well. Thanks for having us. We always love interviewing couples who work together and kind of getting into the story of what made you write the book, decide to do all of that, because I just feel like we've gone through probably very similar experiences to get to where we're at today. So yeah, Absolutely. So can you, I mean, it's great just to first hear a little bit about yourselves. Can you tell us a little bit about you guys' relationship and then just a little bit about the work you guys are doing together? Well, we can start with the relationship. We met 25 years ago, actually, in wow. high school. We were in chemistry class, lab partners. <laughs> I love it. And dated for a time, went to senior prom, but then decided we were too young and we were going to break up. So we did that for seven years, got back together. And it was it was kind of like one of those Instagram-worthy Cinderella stories of marriage where we were soulmates and mm. here we were getting back together and we got married and everything was amazing until we got married and got a year into marriage. And I think like a lot of couples, all of a sudden things got really real. Mm -hmm. I was finishing my doctorate, which was extremely stressful. I got in a serious bike accident. We basically got to the verge of divorce just a year or two into marriage. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like such a whiplash experience for us that in some ways, we've spent the last 18 or so years trying to unpack how did that happen? How did we go so far off the rails? And what's a model we can use to have a better relationship together? And I think if I were to just distill down the problem into one word, it would be this, fairness. Mm. That what ripped us apart early on was this idea that hey, you know, we want to be equals and in love, and we're going to do that by making everything perfectly 50-50 fair, and we're going to keep this elaborate scorecard of all the wonderful things that I do juxtaposed against all of her shortcomings. <laughs> and it turns out that's not a really great recipe for a relationship. <laughs> Took us a while to figure that out, but uh, that that's kind of a, a little bit of the background to what set us on this path. 
Well, then we are, uh, we're, we're definitely on the same page here because, I mean, what drove us into what we do is, you know, a very similar thing of like seeing a love that was so wonderful and so easy and so fun really rapidly devolve when, when things got real. In the first year. <laughs> In the first year. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. There, I feel like it can be a huge disservice that people would ask us all the time. They'd be like, oh, are you guys honeymooners? And we're like, uh, no, <laughs> we're trying to figure out how to actually build a life together and it's not going that great. Oh my gosh, exactly. So, well, so this 50-50 fairness, can you say a little bit more about that? Because I know that correlates with the book that you just wrote, which is 80-80 marriage. Essentially, the idea was that we knew we wanted to be equals. We knew we wanted to be in love. And in some ways, we're the first generation with that aspiration, Mm. the first generation where that was an option available. And the only technology that we had was that of fairness. And so we went after it with all that we had only to discover the more we tried to make things fair, the more unfair they got. And so recognizing that in our scorekeeping, in all of the tit-for-tat kinds of thinking that we were doing, we were actually ripping apart the love that we have for each other. And so the idea of 80-80 is to just drop the scorekeeping, the comparison. We recognize that there's no such thing as 160%, and that's kind of the point, Mm -hmm. that because the math doesn't work at all, You can just stop trying to make it fair and instead strive to give 80% to the relationship, Mm -hmm. recognizing you'll never actually get there. But in the aspiration, it helps undo so many of the toxicities that occur when you're in that tug of war. I love that because I cannot tell you how many times couples come in for couples counseling and they want the therapist to now keep the scorecard. Yes, And we're like, actually, we don't do that. And we're going to really help you guys understand how to not do that. But they are compelled tit for tat to make sure that they give us all of their grievances. And one's got 60% and one's got 40. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's and I, a huge dynamic yeah. for the I couples mean, we see. And I definitely like see that like within our own relationship too, where like, it's almost like impossible to recognize everything your partner does you know, and all we see is sort of what we do, you know, and then when our partner inevitably on some level thinks we're not maybe doing enough or not living, living up to it, it's like, what are you talking about? You know, and I I see a lot of couples where they just like, where they're like perplexed at the other person's perception of what they're giving. I'm so glad you brought that up because we noticed this in our own life. We then interviewed about a hundred couples for this book. And we noticed it there as well, that Mm -hmm. this was like a central dynamic of modern relationships. But then we encountered some of the research, which I think brings a lot of clarity to why fairness is so impossible. And essentially what the research shows is that when it comes to our assessments of what is or isn't fair, all of these assessments are clouded by two main cognitive biases. One of those you alluded to earlier, which is this idea of availability bias. That's the idea that all of my wonderful contributions to our life together, my trips, taking our daughter to school, taking the trash out, Mm. all that information's available to me. But when it comes to what Kaylee does, a lot of that is outside of my awareness. So there's this tendency to systematically underestimate what your partner does. Mm -hmm. And then you add on top of that, a second cognitive bias, 
which is an overestimation bias. Basically, they've done time research studies showing that women and men, but particularly men, tend to vastly overestimate the amount of time they spend on childcare and housework. Hmm. So if you just think about the combination of those two, what that means for this fight about fairness, that we're overestimating what we do, we're underestimating what our partner does, our partner is doing the same thing. And like, how could we ever have a winning conversation about fairness, given those two facts? Well, and is there any like pot of gold at the end of the rainbow where you actually get it all into balance? You know, that, that that's a big thing with couples. I feel like we, we talk about is like, if you're going to try to run your relationship, are you going to use couples counseling as an opportunity just to, you know, that I'm an accountant and I'm going to help you guys find a, a balance, then, you know, What's the end game? How do we know when, when we get there? Mm-hmm. So let's distill it down to like, okay, if you go with the way that doesn't work, what happens? Uh, mm-hmm. What are the shifts you can make? And then what happens when you make those shifts? So when couples approach their relationship as if there's a balance sheet, what have you guys learned that results? What, what happens in their relationship? Essentially, when people approach their relationship as a scorecard, they end up fighting a lot about all the things that they're doing that their partner isn't doing, keeping track, and everything comes with a tale of resentment Mm. is really the overarching theme that starts to emerge. Whereas if you can drop that, what becomes possible is a totally different set of questions. So one of the things that we like to talk about is couples so rarely pause in good moments before they get to the couples therapist and say, what are we doing? Why are we doing that? How are we doing the things that we're doing? Is that in alignment with our gifts, our talents, the things that we care about? And because there isn't that intentional pause, what instead happens is life goes about its way completely accidentally. Mm. And they find themselves sort of swept up in whatever the historical accidents are or whatever the patterns that they got that they witnessed or whatever they did in their 20s. What we find is that when couples are willing to pause and ask those different questions, it also requires a mindset change. And that's where 80-80 or radical generosity becomes so important. Mm. Because if you ask the question, who's doing what, and you do so with a mindset of fairness, you're for sure going to have a fight. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you ask the question, what are we doing? And who's doing which part of it with a mindset of radical generosity, you can strategize together. Well, and I think too, when you're in that scorecard, you know, mindset, you're focused on how you guys are so different. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we've kind of fell in love because we're different with each other. Um, But that when you're in that radical generosity, is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, how are we similar? Because although we have our unique differences, those aren't going to be fear-based anymore. But how can we similarly with like sharing our shared values and our goals, how can we be on the same page? I just, I love, it is a mind shift. The other piece to the mindset shift that I was just going to point out that I think is really important is that some of the skepticism we hear is like, oh, so now you just want me to like be radically generous all the mm-hmm. time and somehow magically that's going to solve all of our problems. And that's that's not exactly what we're saying. I think underneath all of this is an assumption, which is that in relationships, in particular intimate relationships, our mindset is contagious. Mm-hmm. So if you approach your partner with that mindset of resentment, scorekeeping and fairness, 
chances are, unless you're married to the Dalai Lama, they're going to mirror that back to you. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you can make this kind of a mindset shift to like, hey, I'm going to try to contribute more than my fair share, that too has a kind of contagious quality. And that's what I think can really get this off the ground is that in these partnerships where you have an under contributor and an over contributor and they're keeping score and it's never working out, like the, the inequalities just tend to get exaggerated. The resentment grows. Mm-hmm. But if you can shift to generosity, that too can have a contagious effect. So I think that's an important point just about how you operationalize this. I, can I just share something? Because it happened very recently and I was like, oh my gosh, this was because it reminds me of exactly what you're talking about. So I am like the organizer packer. When we go on trips, I like do it all. And I used to be like, very resentful of that because I'm like, how is it that I'm packing for six people? And if I didn't, they would forget everything. Like it would just be, we would show up to wherever we're going and it would be, it would not be good. And so we got home from Vegas last, oh God, earlier this week, actually. Right. And you can see, I could see EJ like shuffling around and he's like kind of on eggshells. And I was like, what's going on? And he's like, well, I just don't want you to be in that place where you have to do it all, like where you're over-functioning and I was like, actually, hang on a second. Like, no, I've accepted this role. Like, I'm really good at it. So you don't have to do anything. I'm going to unpack. I know the laundry that needs to go where. I know what needs to not be dried and what needs to be dried. I'm like, just go relax. And it was so different from huffing and puffing and getting out the laundry. And and it was just like a really cool moment to recognize. I'm like, you go do, watch your sports, honey. Go do what you need to do. Mm -hmm. I'm good with this. Like I'm truly in this acceptance place of that role because I'm really good in that role. I love that. I think like the difficulty we've had and then the difficulty we, we see with our couples is that you you alluded to, Kaylee, is the tale of resentment. Mm-hmm. And we might even present a couple or we might, you know, try to be like, hey, let's do some shifts around this. But it's like resentment is just this weight or this cloud that's like back here that keeps us from from maybe trying to do it differently. So is is that something you guys address is like, how do you deal with the the backlog of resentment from doing it the old way? I love the example that Tara gave as a flavor of what do you do potentially with the resentment? Part of it is recognizing how I've created it for myself. Yes. That if I actually get some satisfaction out of doing the packing, if I'm good at it, and yet I'm sort of elbowing you out, making sure that you can't do it, and now I resent you for not participating, that's one way to do it. Versus if I can take a little bit of ownership and say, I'm good at this. This is something that I'm willing to do. This is in service of our family. It starts to shift it. So part one of your question, I think, EJ, is about what do you do with resentment in the moment? Same idea. I love the story that a couple was telling us that uh, there was a woman who was at the sink doing dishes and she could just feel herself where she was like, I cooked this meal. I served this meal. And now I'm cleaning up after this meal. Like I'm just going to bathe myself in cortisol. (laughs) And then there was this moment of, oh, wait, I actually have a quiet moment to myself where everyone has dispersed to their various spaces and I have a moment to think. And that shift to, rather than resenting my family, I'm going to just recognize I'm doing the dishes anyway. How do I want to approach it? So there's an in-the-moment shift. 
I think there's also a, what do you do with that tail? There, unfortunately, I have yet to find like the erasing machine where you're like, and then all those, those experiences were gone. They're gone. But there is an ability to reveal to your partner what that experience was and mm-hmm. to make a request about it so that they understand your inner world. And it isn't just another accusation yeah. or levy of something they've done wrong, but rather an opportunity to say, hey, when I was at the sink doing those dishes for the third night in a row, I really felt like it was an expectation and there wasn't an appreciation. I feel resentful for that. And the partner can say, oh my goodness, I, I had no idea. Let's do something different, go forward. And it can start to ease the tail and help it come to an end. Well, and I also think that idea of kind of taking ownership. And I remember I went, you know, after that whole EJ kind of getting nervous and walking in eggshells, I went to him and I'm like, I'm so proud of us. Like, this was huge. Like, and before, if that wouldn't have happened, EJ would have stayed on eggshells. He would have been like, oh my God, is she so mad at me? And he would feel like I didn't trust him. I mean, there's just so much stuff under there. And so, and then me coming to EJ and let him know, like, I'm truly okay with this. Like, I really am. And it is it is a lot of mindfulness pieces that we're talking about in here. And can I just ask um, what your doctorate is in, Nate? Political philosophy. Political philosophy. <laughs> Which that's interesting, right? <laughs> How does that relate to marriage? I don't really know. Other than I would say the way we approached the question was very similar to the way I was trained to approach philosophical questions about like, what are the key frameworks we're trying to say goodbye to your credit card rewards? Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Trying to understand, so it's maybe less psychological, more philosophical in terms of our approach, but it is not a PhD in marriage therapy or anything (laughs) related to that. No, I love that. But I I guess (laughs) I'm so curious about, I mean, you guys decided to stay together and go through it and learn about it and be curious then about other people's process. Like, when did that happen? Was there like a moment? Because I remember the exact moment when I was like, EJ, it's either this or this. I remember the exact moment. I'm wondering if you guys do. So there were there were several moments, but there's one that really stands out to me. And I think you'll agree. We were both working 
really hard in our careers. Kaylee is an executive coach. She was traveling all the time. Mm-hmm. I was a co-founder of a startup. I had pretty long hours. And our child was going into first grade. And the bus was going to drop off our child at 3.15 every afternoon on the curb in front of our house. And the question was, who's going to be there to meet our child at the bus? And we approached that question initially from this kind of fairness-based perspective, where it was like, well, you should be the one to pick her up. I've got so much going on in my career. Very clear. It was his turn to pick up. (laughs) And, And we realized in that moment, it was like this breakthrough lightning bolt kind of insight moment that there was no answer to that question Mm. in the paradigm of individual success and fairness. That that was an intractable question that we could never resolve for the rest of our life. But there was something in that moment where we started to think, well, wait a minute, what if the question isn't what's best for me, but what's best for us? What's best for our family together? And we're kind of dorky. We even named our family Kajona, K-A for Kaylee, J-O for our daughter, N-A for me. I love it. So, so it was actually even more specific than that. What's best for Kajona? And for whatever reason, that completely changed the conversation. And that was a moment where I actually decided to go down to 80% in my career, in my job, so that I could be there for our daughter. It just made sense, given all the variables and everything we were thinking about. But I would say that was one of those moments where we realized there's a practice here that's that's difficult, but that we really want to lean into because it it felt so different from the previous decade of our marriage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, how do we do this together? We're in this. We're in a partnership. We're a team. We're a family now. We've got to like get out of our own individualistic suffering. Well, we're definitely and wor- what's fair. Yeah, we're working against some biological, you know, sort yeah. of programming. Yes. There is like, as much as I love Tara, love our family, and and am dedicated to it. Like, I have these uh, just instinctive responses that are very much driven for me managing my own suffering, you know, and trying to limit my own suffering. And I get into those narratives of fairness and, and we measure different things. Like I, I think for like Tara, a lot of times we've, we've fallen into like, cause she does so much and that doesn't feel fair. And on my side, it's, it's like the fairness is around emotional experience sort of, you know, is, is what I think my narrative gets up in my head of like, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe that I'm being made to feel this way. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think there's different. 8080s that are going on in relationship. Definitely. I think you're pointing to something so powerful around the ways that we've been trained and biology and how in some respects it works against this. Not only are we working to minimize our own suffering, but also I think there's a lot of training that goes into optimizing our individual success. I don't know about each of Mm -hmm. you, but certainly Nate and I will tell the story that up until we got married, all of the reinforcement that we got was be awesome as an individual Mm -hmm. on your own. Go achieve on your own, get your job on your own. Like nobody was saying like, well, what kind of partner are you about whether we promote you or whether you get that raise or whether you get into that elite institution. And so then all of a sudden to do individual, individual, individual team is an abrupt transition and not one that's easy. There's also, I think you're, you're pointing to something really important, which is emotional labor, that who is 
thinking about the relationship, who is paying attention to the dynamics that aren't just about, is the laundry clean? Is there a meal on the table? But things about, does our kiddo feel important and are we engaging with them or recognizing that there's a holiday coming up? Who's doing the thinking around who we include and how we structure that? That's invisible to the other people in our lives. And yet it is a really significant weight, time investment, potentially burden. And so I, I think EJ, you're really onto something here that sometimes we're not even measuring the same things. Emotional labor. I love that term. Yeah. We had somebody recently also introduced that term of invisible work, of like trying to be aware of all the invisible work. And and you kind of like broadened it there beyond just the invisible work of the things that I might not see that Tara's doing around the house or for the business, but also the invisible work that's going on inside her head, you know, and vice versa, the Mm -hmm. invisible work that's going on inside my head. And those are... I mean, I guess that's where like also the concept of grace or benefit of the doubt comes in, you know, is that is that we have to give our partner some grace that we've picked them because they're wonderful people and they have wonderful qualities. And maybe there's a lot that we're missing or we don't understand how burdened they are by everything they do. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that lately. We had like a real argument what, about a month ago? And it was our first like real juicy overnight argument. You know, like like it wasn't resolved when we went to bed. Oh, yeah. Uh, That kind of an argument. We hadn't had one of those in a while. And like the two of you were, you know, writing about marriage and coaching people about marriage and Mm -hmm. things like that during our day. So it was one of those strange moments. And for me, what was really interesting is I had to bring myself back to that place of grace that you mentioned, DJ. But I also noticed that there was something important for me. I would almost call it faith. That I remember thinking to myself, it feels like we are miles apart right now mm-hmm. and that this is totally intractable. But I, I believe that we are going to make it to the other side. Like I know based on what we've accomplished in the past, based on our practice, based on our love for each other, but I, I could see how there was a part of my mind that was really doubting that. And, and it, it was almost like I needed to touch into this place of like faith in the relationship, mm-hmm. even when it didn't seem like that was the logical response. It's like that core trust that is so hard to access in those totally. moments. And that's what a, a huge thing we help couples with because they come in and they don't have the emotional safety. And so we really help them internalize yeah. these positive more mindfulness places so that they can have the ability to build that core trust so that in difficult moments, because we're going to have them. And it's actually, I feel closer to EJ when we have those arguments. I'm like, God, that was awesome. (laughs) He's getting better at recognizing why I love it so much because I always know we will grow closer because of it, because we have that core trust that no matter what, we will get through anything and everything. And this is why we do what we do. Well, I think it's important though also to put out because I know we have we have a you know a lot of listeners and we definitely have a lot of couples who come in who that core trust has been deteriorated. Right. 
and that it's important to know that that core trust can be regained, you know, and that it's okay and normal that there might be a period for a couple, you know, where, where it feels like it's bankrupt, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. but that's where it's super important to go out and get some help. You know, like in our program, we do a lot of early childhood work with couples first. Mm-hmm. And what it does is it it helps them regain empathy because because really that core trust is sort of a, a compassion fatigue, you know, that you've gotten to the yeah. point where you just can't see your partner in that soft and gentle way, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I guess I just wanted to throw that out to a listener who's like, well, I just don't trust my partner anymore. I just don't see them in that light that, that you can regain that. And I really want to plus one your comment that there are moments for books and there are moments for podcasts and learning, at least for us, is very much a lifelong process. And there are moments where an outside therapist is the best thing that you can possibly do for your relationship. And we have had moments where really gifted professionals have helped us so much, whether it's regaining soft eyes, whether it's understanding ourselves and our own reactions. So I love that you're reminding everyone who's with us in this conversation. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you can do it on your own. And when it feels like you can't, it's so powerful to ask for help. So I know that that you guys coach couples as well. It is. We do, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so just tell us a little bit about your work and like how you approach, you know, working with couples and and the pathway that you might take a couple on. Yeah, we center our approach very much on the 80-80 framework. So what we're looking at with couples is what are some of the patterns they're in in terms of scorekeeping or other patterns that are keeping them stuck. And then a lot of the coaching we do centers around the book and various exercises that we have in the book, which some of those are about mindset, which we've been talking about a lot, radical generosity, how do you create habits of appreciation, contribution, revealing. But then there's also a whole structural piece, we think, that you know once you have that foundation of radical generosity, the reality of being a couple in the modern world is that you're kind of running a business together, the business of your life. Mm -hmm. And so things like, what are your values together? What are your priorities? What boundaries are you setting or likely not setting, you know, in service of your life? What's, what are the power dynamics look like? All of those things we think are really important for modern couples to think about, particularly those couples who find themselves just completely overwhelmed by the, the chaos of life and kids and businesses and all that stuff. So structure, it's, kind of what we do here at Relationship Renovation, because as we know, even with our kids, when we provide structure, that feels really safe and it's more predictable. And when things are more predictable, it feels okay. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like we're overwhelmed by the chaos. And so I think initially, like when couples hear that word structure, it's like, oh, Uh, I'm like, well, let us help reframe this for you. Because what everything that you're saying, how do we plan our life. People want this like wild romantic love that is seen in the movies and we shouldn't have to do that. We shouldn't have to schedule intimacy well. You're not having it for a reason. We might have to schedule at least some quality time together, people. Yeah. I mean, and so it's like that 
how do you really help couples understand that structure and talking about and planning their life is actually one of the most powerful things they can do together? Because then they get to, like you said, what are our shared values? What are our shared things that we want to do in our relationship or with our family? I mean, I could go on and on. (laughs) I love what you're saying here. And I think in some ways it's a rhetorical question for a couple. Is the way that you're doing it right now working? (laughs) Yes. Are you having intimacy? Are you in the kinds and quality of conversations that you want with each other? Do you feel deeply connected? And if you do, keep doing everything that you're doing. If you're finding that that's not happening, let's create some scaffolding so that there's enough structure that you still get spontaneity and freedom and experiences together. Not so much where, you know, in every five minute increment, we're going to know exactly what we're doing, but so that it's space allowed for the experiences that we most want with our loved ones. Well, and it sounds like the work you do together coaching couples is very much building for success. Instead of like hashing out all the old and the pain and all of that, it's like, how do we move forward and build this relationship that we both want? So that already feels very positive and uplifting. And it probably gets people away from that source of frustration and anger and pain. Because it's like when couples come into couples counseling and it's usually, okay, it's either this or divorce. Like, okay, great. Okay. Um, But that they started something and that they know they're coming to a place for like 75 minutes a week. Like that feels like we're in this together because we decided like just Mm -hmm. that shift of like, okay, we're doing something gets them out of that, I guess, just fear-based place that we're not going to work or there's something wrong with us or we're broken. Well, gets them into a place of hope that there's a pathway Thank out of, of the despair because it's the we, we talk about this all the time. It's like the worst place in the world to be is in despair with the person that you love the most, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and the one that you've said, like, I want this person to be with me literally till my last breath mm. and you feel disliked, unloved, uh, resented, you know, knowing that there's a pathway is is just it's a blessing. So I know we've we've just like hit the the tip of the iceberg, but I'm sure there's people out there that are like, wow, this like eighty eighty marriage is something that really I connect with, and I'd I'd like to learn more. So so tell us like how does somebody you know how do they connect with you? What are the different things that you're sort of offering to people? The best way is probably our website, 8080marriage, 8080marriage.com. And that's where you can learn more about the book. We also have a newsletter that we send out that's free every couple of weeks with tips and tools and insights we're thinking about. Uh, We have a free epic date night for couples. Uh, We found that that's one of the things most couples struggle with, particularly those with kids. It's like, how do we actually have this thing called date night? Yeah. And actually keep it going. Yeah, and actually keep it going. Yeah, actually, yeah. one of my favorite newsletter posts we did was, a, it was called The Conspiracy Against Date Night. How <laughs> the entire world, big tech, your kids, your company, everything is in conspiracy against you ever having another date night. <laughs> but yeah, that's the best place to to find us. We're also on Instagram and all those usual Great. places. We'll definitely drop all that information into our show notes. 
you know, thank you very much, uh, you know, Nate and Kaylee. It's been awesome to speak with you. Uh, it's just great, again, to uh, to connect with like-minded people who've used their own personal yes. experience, which, which is what makes it really real. You know, it's wonderful that you, that, that you have the research and everything that sort of backs it up. But just like, hey, this is something we struggled with and something yeah. we've managed to work through and continue to work through. You know, I, I know that people connect with that. And it works. Like, that's really important. <laughs> yeah. Because that's when, like, when EJ and I started doing our little things, I'm like, oh, actually, that really worked. <sighs> Does it take time? Does it take effort? Absolutely. Is our relationship worth it? Heck yeah. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that work that you guys have done to now share it with the world, which is such a gift. Same to you. Thank you for living what you are teaching. <laughs> Sometimes those little things, I agree with you, are the surprises where, like, who would know a little sticky note that says, I love you could make my day. Oh reliably. So sometimes it's the little things, sometimes it's the big things, but I think holding always that love is worth it. Yes, it is. Well, thank you so much and can't wait to connect with the two of you more and just to see all that work that you are still working on and putting out there. As always, take care of yourself, take care of each other. Your relationship deserves it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Me and you just singing on the train. Me and you listening to are the same me and you have all the fame we need indeed you and me are we say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.